here for you to lead us out of Babylon. For I was just a boy when I came here. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise and bring you back to this land. Who are you, old man? I am Daniel. I seek to tell you a story. A tale of four kings. One great, one foolish, one who was deceived, and one who is destined to be regarded as wise for all the ages of the world to come. Buckle up for a new episode of Daniel, the Tale of Four Kings. One of the most direct podcasts addressing prophecies contained in the book of Daniel. Certainly purposing to teach interested learners the power of eschatology. Today is episode number three, Refusing Defilement. We'll explain the importance of the why Daniel and his friends were required to refuse the refined foods and drinks of King Nebuchadnezzar. It is our prayer that you are empowered by the teaching today. I have been teaching and preaching the prophecies of the Old and New Testaments for many years. I've come to realize one point. There is no need to teach people the profound elements of the Lord's prophecies if they do not have the indwelling life of Christ. Unsaved people only scratch their heads after hearing these not-so-hidden biblical truths, and they quickly default to, well, that's their opinion. Christianity 101 reveals that unless the Holy Spirit resides in the believer, a human can't connect the dots of prophecy from the Old Testament up into the life of Christ and then on to the final act played out in Revelation's book. It's impossible. I call it preaching to a dead man walking. Well, that spurs on the question of, so, why preach? Certainly we need to preach doctrine, and we need to preach the prophecies of the Lord. But we first must remember not to neglect the reality of the lion's share of audience participants personally may be lost in their spirituality, level of applied holiness, and their probable separation from the indwelling life of Jesus. So again, why preach to a generalized audience? It is a simple answer. We don't know who is authentically indwelt by Jesus. Secondly, hearing the prophecies leads the curious to Christ for salvation. Unless they are cloaked in bitterness and refuse brokenness. Hearing the prophecies has a purpose, and it adds to the brokenness process God intends for those 
who hear these quote-unquote mysteries of the scriptures. While authentic believers hear the prophecies and are encouraged, it produces brokenness in the souls of the unsaved. As for those who preach the prophecies, may God warn them to escape the preaching attitude of empty sermons, while droves of people pour into hell daily. While preaching prophecies are intended to break people, hoping to lead them to Jesus Christ, we must remember that it is not our job to decide who will respond eternally in Christ. It is a biblical fact that the Holy Spirit will not reveal the deep things of God's prophecies, nor will he open the door to the truths and reveal God's precious individual connections to such prophecies, to those defined by the sins of the Adamic nature, other words, unsaved. With this in mind, we now understand that for them, prophecies are used to form brokenness in their lost human souls. We need a revival of sorts. After 40 years of studying the Lord's prophecies, I have come to realize the Lord has always used prophecies to awaken rebellious souls to provide an opportunity to step into a predestined holy revival. This is our mission with the study of the book of Daniel. Let's review the table of contents for today. Number one, extraordinary man. Daniel was not of the average preacher. Number two, God looks to his own. The Lord first protects his own for obvious reasons. The number one reason is it's the only people he can trust with his word. People who have a intimate relationship with God, and adding on to that, has the ability to hear God, these are the people that God uses to speak to, to speak to others. Three, Daniel, the model of integrity. The key we're going to learn in our study today is Daniel and his ability to protect existing authority. Finally, number four, Daniel avoids defilement. Simple fact here. Defilement corrupts God's mission. It does not necessarily stop it, but it certainly would slow it down. Can you imagine if the story went a little differently and Daniel buckled under pressure and ate the defiled food and drank the fermented wines? We would have a complete different outcome. Our overview for today is, first of all, Daniel's captivity was not a shock to God. It was a part of the Lord's mission to discipline the Hebrew people, to redirect them back to the individualized and collective worship of Him. 
God knew he needed an extraordinary man to do this. The Lord also knew that it would require a man of absolute integrity, who avoided defilement at all cost. Finally, this man had to embrace the mandate of not fellowshipping with idolized nations. This man was Daniel with the support of his friends. While Daniel was clueless of the future of his calling as a young man, God's ability to maintain the present by knowing the future cemented Daniel's upward calling, that's for sure. In this, prophecies are born. Let's review our scriptures for today. We encourage you to study Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 21. But our key verses today is Daniel 1, 9 and 10. It says, Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king, who has appointed your food and your drink. For why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. Now let's look at excusing self. Christians are known for displacing their responsibilities for the sins they commit. You know, we are not responsible for the judgment that came down upon us, and we did not commit the sins God is judging regarding our forefathers, and he will not hold us responsible. Daniel and his friends did not use this ridiculous statement. What did they do? They faced the lion's den. They embraced the blazing furnace. They fronted criticism and ridicule, fully knowing their father's sins rest upon their shoulders. If I remember correctly, this is the madness method Jesus embraced. While he didn't commit these sins, he was willing to have the sins of all placed on his shoulders. This is the model we see being carried out in our Daniel story. The model we do see is a man who drops such excuses at the feet of the Lord while embracing the real-time focus of beholding the will of the Father and the costs that come with such a decision. However, today we see young theologians compromising through integrating absolute truths into a culture of blending the lines to reach those who do not know God. Many tattoo themselves, drink strong drinks, alcohol, wear revealing clothing, and a host of other line-blending modalities, all under the banner of reaching the lost. What's the results? Today we cannot see the difference between a male, female, the corrupt from the non-corrupt, the authentic believers from those who pretend to be Christians. Is this evangelism? I think not. 
The main drawing card of evangelism is rooted in Be ye separate, O my people. If the lost souls cannot see the benefits of conversion in and through Christ, what's the point? I believe that the misnomer is what formed the social gospel. Now let's look at what the real issue is, which falls under the category of what did God say? Did you know that there was legalism in the Old Testament? Yes. Old or new covenants are based on hearing the voice of the Father, not on obeying the jots and tittles of the words he spoke. Both covenants create a dependence on God's voice, not his written words. As soon as a person focuses on the words of the law, legalism moves in to dominate obedience that propagates failure. However, when someone like Daniel and his friends focus on the voice that is announcing the guidelines of proper living, each gains the attention, protection, and blessing of the personal relationship with God the Father. In the New Testament, Hearing the voice of Jesus Christ from within does exactly the same thing. When others ask me who exactly from the Old Testament are in heaven with Jesus today, I keep it simple. It's not in who kept the law. It is in who honored the law for the sake of having a relationship with the one who established the law. These are the ones we will see and enjoy relationships with when greeted by them as we are ushered into heaven. This reveals the importance of why Jesus needed to come and fulfill the laws of his Father. He didn't abolish them. He completed the purpose of such laws that he placed upon the Hebrew people. Since born-again indwelt believers are grafted into the Hebrew lineage and bloodline, we as authentic believers get to share in the why Jesus came to fulfill the requirements placed on God's people to enjoy a law-free relationship with God the Father through Jesus. Meaning, the second after Jesus fulfilled the law, he too was united back into a perfect father-son relationship with his Abba. Let's review no steak for me. If you're like me, there's nothing quite like a steak prepared by the standards of a great chef. Believe me, I've had many of them. However, if this steak, as refined as it is, was made known to me that it was from an animal sacrifice to Satan. Well, honestly, I could not eat it under those conditions, and I doubt you would either. God's issue with Jews not eating the meat of divided hoof animals had little to do with pigs or other divided hoof animals. 
It does have to do with the historical truth that divided hoofed animals were the prime selection for animal sacrifice to ancient gods through the ages. Daniel and his friends were well aware of this history. When God safeguarded the Jews by placing a law in place, it protected them from the evil that occurred in sacrifice. We all must remember what a sacrifice to God or other gods received the spirit of the one it was sacrificed to. In this that Jesus became God once he was sacrificed to God on the cross. These young men understood this profound principle intuitively and through the teachings of Jewish law. Fact, the blood within a good steak makes that steak delicious. I.e. the reason chefs prefer people to eat their meticulously prepared steaks, medium to rare. In Leviticus, we find the issue God has with blood. Let's take a look at it. It's Leviticus 17.10. And any man from the house of Israel, or from the aliens who sojourn among them, who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood, and will cut him off from among his people. God made it clear that for the life of the flesh is in the blood. Verse 11. Keeping this intact with our Daniel story, Daniel's issue aligned with what the Lord said in Leviticus. The blood found in the meats offered by the king is covertly adopting the life of the God in which it was sacrificed. Daniel knew that if he ate meat forbidden by God's law, he would be ceremonially accepted and accepting the God it was sacrificed to, while being defiled by the evil assigned to its sacrifice. Thus he and his friends must totally abstain regardless of the cost and consequences of doing so. Since Daniel was the model or leader of these young men, his actions set a precedent for the future rebuilding of Judaism. His decision was not to keep the law or keep his tummy undefiled. It was reestablishing the covenant of God made to his people. You know, a Jesus-type figure. Daniel's friends increased in their faith by watching his every move and listening to his every word, as well as the godological theme and reason for doing what he did. It is an age-old modality God has used from Adam to Jesus, all the way up through biblical history of our leaders of the modern church today. Remember when Paul said, Be as I. It is a practical action for leaders to demonstrate the works of Christ, fulfilling the law in and through Jesus Christ 
as an indwelt believer. Let's review what's up with the wine. Vineyard experts reference wine as the blood of the fruit. If drank while the blood of the vine is fresh, it is embracing the drink in its purest form. After it begins to ferment, goes bad, it becomes what the Word of God calls strong drink. As most know, wine without the punch of fermentation is next to pointless. It's called grape juice. Well, early on in biblical history, vine dressers realized that fresh grape juice turned bad provides a buzz, drunkenness. Even though these earlier vine dressers didn't know the science of fermentation causes addictions, they certainly knew that the masses requested their wine first for the taste and second for the buzz, a combination that sets the human up for addictions. We have science to remind us of the dangers of drinking strong drinks, Back in Daniel's day, this was an unknown. Although, Daniel was certainly aware of the change in thoughts and behavior that came with drinking fermented wines. The law that God placed on Daniel and the Hebrew people was directly associated with drunkenness. And it was not in stopping his people from enjoying the juice from the fruit of the vine. Jesus himself enjoyed this. The age-old question of did Jesus drink fermented grapes? It is the wrong question to ask. You drink fermented grapes and you'll get drunk. Did Jesus get drunk? Well, this too is a ridiculous question almost too ridiculous to answer. The emphasis of this story is regarding the wine Jesus produced through his miracle was to lead each to him. Yes, I believe his version of wine was the purest of all grape juices. All wine experts know that a bottle of good wine starts with excellent-tasting grapes that have been well-groomed in a vineyard that is meticulous in developing a grape-tasting grape. Since the Jews did not use the term grape juice, all juices made from the grape were called wine. Jesus' version simply took the drinkers back to God's organic version of the purpose of grapes. That connects directly to Jesus saying, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Thus the miracle revealed the life of Jesus. Those pure grapes that provided an unbelievable taste for those who were drinking it was to reveal the life of Jesus. For he was, is the fruit of God's labor. There is nothing in the Old or New Covenants that do not reveal God's mission. 
that of providing a pathway back to the tree of life, which, as we know, was and is the life of Christ via the Holy Spirit. All stories are set up for this single lesson. In conclusion, the book of Daniel is prophetic in its entirety, but it is much more than that. It contains the most important practical lessons for indwelt Christians. These lessons are repeated throughout the Word of God. And, by the way, without question, today we need to learn the mysteries buried within Christ that answer the aged old question. How can I be obedient? Live a separate life from unbelievers. Be dedicated to the Lord. And experience intimacy with Christ without feeling I'm under the law? Well, the answer is twofold. First, one must be filled with the Holy Spirit and become indwelled by the one who fulfilled the law, Jesus. Secondly, each must be discipled by a quality fellow indwelled Christian who should assist in moment-by-moment decisions leading to a dynamic obedient relationship With Jesus. Today, the Lord's message to the church shouts in our spiritual ears Come out from among them and be separated, says the Lord, and do not participate or touch unclean things. Then again, Paul said, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful workers of darkness, but rather reprove them. It doesn't get any more practical than that. The modality of the church today is to maintain elements of darkness. Stay in sin while trying in self-effort to learn and adhere to the things of God. Nope, that's not going to work, and this is not the answer. It all starts with authentic salvation. Only then... Will you have inward power to separate yourself from family and friends who practice deeds of darkness? Once separation occurs, holiness can slip into its place. Let's look at our summary points. Number one, prophecies. Keeping in mind, without the Holy Spirit doing the interpretation inside your soul, you will not be able to understand not only the prophecies stated in Daniel, but any prophecy stated in the Word of God. Two, excusing self, not being responsible. Keep in mind that authentic believers avoid blaming their sins on their forefathers as well as anyone else. Number three, the real issue, and that comes in perfect alignment with what does God say. Freedom is not in the laws of God, but rather in who established them. Finally, number four, stakes, wine, and the law. Understanding the why the Jews could not eat split-hoofed animals 
is buried throughout the Old Testament. Legalistically, some people stop eating pigs. That is not the point that God was making. The point that God was making is do not eat meats that have been sacrificed to one of Satan's idols. That's the point. Coming up next, number four, divine wisdom rules. There's a major difference between natural wisdom, demonic wisdom, and wisdom that comes down from above. That would be from God. We will detail the difference in our next episode. I am always challenged by the passage of James 3:13 through 15, and it says, Who among you is wise in understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. We hope that you join us in our next episode as we clarify the absolute importance of understanding the difference between demonic wisdom and that which comes through Jesus Christ, who supposedly is supposed to be living within us. So why do I say supposedly? It's pretty easy. There are more fake Christians walking the face of the earth who say they're Christians, but they deny his indwelling. These are important points we need to cover in the book of Daniel. Until next time.